0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. What is the PGA Tour? What is Live Golf? And why did the two leagues merge? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby (laughs) Hornasek. Whether or not you consider yourself a golf fan, there's a decent chance you've heard some heated conversations surrounding Live Golf. The Saudi-backed league has people questioning the ethics of where that money is coming from. So it may have come as a surprise to you when on June 6th, the PGA Tour and Live Golf cast aside their bitter feelings and announced they would be merging so what makes live golf so controversial why is the merger concerning lawmakers and how could the deal change the golf landscape joining me now to break it down is sports reporter for the wall street journal andrew beaton and andrew joins me now hi andrew
1: hey thanks so much for having me on
0: thanks so much for coming on do you golf
1: very very poorly
0: (laughs) so you like to watch golf then
1: Definitely like to watch golf and like to play, even if it can drive you a little bit crazy.
0: (laughs) Well, a lot of people are being driven crazy right now because of this whole live PGA debacle. So let's just lay the scene because actually a lot of people have been asking me about this lately, just because I worked in sports and um, it's we've we haven't really seen something like this in quite some time. So let's just kind of lay some background. What is going on (laughs) with live and PGA?
1: Well, if you take it back more than a full year at this point, and even longer than that, there had been rumors of upstart golf leagues, and then one that was backed by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. It was gaining momentum, but it all seemed to be happening in the shadows, and nobody really knew how serious it was. And there are times when, using the words of PGA Tour player Rory McIlroy, it appeared to be dead in the water. But then when it launched last year, Live Golf, the Saudi-backed circuit, nabbed dustin johnson phil mickelson and a surprising number of top players to play in its events and basically in that one moment after that first tournament teed off there was suddenly a massive fissure dividing the golf world these players took gobs of money some of them received appearance fees reportedly larger than nine figures to go play for this saudi backed circuit and those players were subsequently banned from the pga tour for violating their contracts with the PGA Tour, and this was all sorts of of tensions that were dominating this, whether those were political ones, whether this was over human rights, and there's other people who believed in the tradition of the game Mm -hmm. and the value in playing these same tournaments that Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer once played in here in the U.S. on the PGA Tour, and so there's rife tensions. And people are trying to make heads and tails of it politicians are weighing in on one side or the other many people assailing this saudi-backed golf circuit as an attempt at sports washing basically trying to use the sport of golf as an attempt to improve saudi arabia's image while they've been under fire for a wide range of things such as the killing of journalist jamal khashoggi and so for the better part of the last year Besides looked nothing like friends and looked exactly like bitter
0: enemies. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because something that really struck me was Bryson DeChambeau. He signed a four and a half year deal worth a reported $125 million to defect to live in 2022. And now he is out there saying, Well, we need to be on a path to forgiveness for nine eleven. So it's just it it's mind blowing the lengths these players are saying. I mean, and it's they're making so much money, but at what point do you draw the line between your morals and your values? And then, you know, that, that paycheck, but it's also, I want to, I want to talk about, um, you, you had mentioned something about when, um, these players left and went to live, they were then unable to go back to the PGA. Um, in some cases, I don't know if there are any who did go back to PGA. I don't think so. Right.
1: Yep. None of them were went back. Basically PGA tour players have a, a contract with, uh, with the tour that says basically to play in non-tour events, they need to get a waiver from the PGA Tour. Right. And so because they violated that contract by a playing in that in live events, they were subsequently suspended and banned. And that was really what sparked the litigation at first between the two sides, which was yet another arena where they were fighting because these two sides weren't just fighting in the court of public opinion. They were fighting in the court of law.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just to kind of uh, expand upon your point, Jay Monahan last year basically said to the players, don't go to live and take that money. But now here we are. He's saying, well, people are going to call me a hypocrite, but this is happening. So I think that really surprised a lot of people. And in terms of the litigation, I was kind of looking at the initial agreement. It was very broad. One of the main points was that the PGA and live would stop suing and counter suing one another um and then the other big thing was that the pga tour would control the board of the new business so what else needs to happen because when you talk to people in the sports world they're like well this could go on for quite some time it's not technically official uh the doj needs to still make sure there's no violation of antitrust laws things like that so will you just break that down for us
1: Well, when these two sides agreed to this shocking agreement recently, it was stunning in a few ways because, first of all, they were bitter enemies that were seemingly out of nowhere agreeing to make a deal. But the strangest thing about this agreement that seemingly came out of nowhere but actually came after months of secretive negotiations was that it's only sort of a deal. (laughs) It's a deal basically to try and make a deal is essentially what they agreed on. And there were some firm p- parts like no matter what, they were going to drop the litigation against each other, which was costly and damaging uh, in terms of reputation for both sides based on what it could expose. But as far as the framework of the agreement, there's some broad things like Yasir al-Rumayan will be who's the governor of Saudi Arabia Sovereign Wealth Fund. He'll be the chairman of this new endeavor. Jay Monahan will be the CEO, and as you said, the PJ Tour will pick the majority of the board seats. But other than those kind of loose details, there's so much to be settled in terms of what the money looks like, what the structure looks like. Will Live Golf continue to exist? And so between the questions about can they actually agree to a more concrete deal, between questions about there are congressional investigations into this, we already knew that there was a DOJ antitrust investigation into this. And then there was a merger. So as we've reported, this deal is going to be closely looked at by the Department of Justice. So there's a lot of questions about this on numerous fronts before we can even say, yes, the deal is done.
0: So the players who said, "I, there is no way I'm going to live, I'm going to stay with PGA, when this merger Happen? do those PGA players, are they able to make the same kind of money that the live players are, or is it just come still being, are they still being paid separately?
1: It's all completely separate. They're still right now operating as completely separate entities. And one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, the the players who stuck with the PGA tour didn't get the benefit of these enormous checks and paydays, but they in, in an ancillary way did ultimately benefit from this because as the PGA tour fought to keep players from defecting to live, it fought with the only thing it really could other than saying, don't go to the Saudi back circuit. they tried to fight money with money. And so one of the things you've seen on tour this year is that many of the purses at the tournaments have record-breaking prize funds. So if you're a player like Scotty Scheffler, who's the number one player in the world right now, and he's stuck with the PGA Tour. There's months left in this season, and Scotty Scheffler has already made more in on-course earnings this year than anyone in history on the PGA Tour. And that's because, yes, he's played very well, and he's played very well in a season when purses have been buoyed by the competitive threat of live golf. Mm-hmm. So there have there are players who have been compensated in some ways. The tour also increased the money it was putting in this program called the Player Impact Program, which basically just rewards players based on their popularity. But there's definitely players who have a lot of serious questions for PGA Tour management about, all right, you know, you told us forever not to go, and then you made a deal with them anyway.
0: Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good And a question that a lot of people are asking, even fans of golf, like, you know, can we watch live? (laughs) Do we feel weird watching live Um, in terms of the structure of the two different entities? uh, You have live golf and PGA. How is it played differently? I mean, take the money out of it. How does live golf differ from the PGA?
1: Live golf always responded when people accused it of being an exercise in sports washing, is saying, we're not that at all. This is an effort to re-energize the game with a fun new format. And so at every live tournament, there is a team aspect. There's teams of four players, but they're also playing in ind- individually as well. And there's a shotgun start, which means instead of players waiting for their tee times, they all start on different holes across the course. And I think while people are intrigued by the idea of shaking up a sport that probably was ripe to be more appealing to younger audiences, at the same time, the proof is a bit in the pudding in that Live Golf has really struggled to gain sponsors and to gain eyeballs. Whether you look at the ratings, whether you look at where they got a TV deal with, which is with not a premier network uh, in the CW, this is something that had an enormous amount of money, billions of dollars poured into it, and is struggling to make a business impact, whereas the PGA Tour is the establishment. It's golf as you're used to watching it, Uh, Mm -hmm. a tournament every four days, Thursday through Sunday uh, at different stops across the country. And that has a pretty fierce and loyal audience. You know, a lot of golf fans may only tune in to the majors, but there's a lot of people who tune in to the Travelers Championship Mm -hmm. or whatever event is happening on a given weekend.
0: All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this.
1: The Will Kane show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.
0: The, the game has been around for so long, and it it, it there is tr- there is tradition in the fabric of the game. I actually just I looked it up, so Um, golf's rules were formally written down in 1744, but people had been playing it already for centuries. So when you think about how old the game is, that is appealing to people who are more of a traditionalist kind of sports fan. Like they like the way that it's always been. So um, it'll be interesting to see how many people watch with, with live kind of now in the shuffle. What do you think? it was about live that was so attractive to golfers. Do you think it really just had to do with the money or the fact that it was this shiny new toy?
1: You know, some tried to uh, in some ways twist themselves into knots and echo the argument that they loved the fun new format. Phil Mickelson has said that over and over. Um, but there's also another simple way of looking at it. They were getting paid more to work less. Mm. And that is an appealing offer in some respects, to anybody in the world. And these were players who were getting offered to play in tournaments that were three days instead of four with record-breaking prize money. And oh, you're going to get, in addition to that prize money, many of the top players received appearance fees worth tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's particularly appealing if you're a player such as, say, Phil Mickelson, whose best days are behind him. Mm. Take the PGA Tour, for instance, which in most respects is entirely a meritocracy. You eat what you kill. If you finish in first place, you make a lot of money. If you don't make the cut, you're often making bupkis. Whereas Live Golf, every player was getting paid, one through 48. Plus, you could be getting a nine-figure check just for showing up.
0: I mean, I, I wouldn't take the money from the Saudis, but don't you kind of wish you would have been a professional golfer? It's <laughs> a lot of money.
1: I, I'm very, very far from being a professional golfer.
0: So, <laughs> so Unfortunately, it's something
1: I don't have the opportunity to consider. Uh
0: maybe in another life. So we we kind of talked about how Jay Monahan just you know a year ago ish was like ah don't don't go take money from Live, but then they here we are with uh, looking at this merger. What do you think ultimately led to that?
1: So Jay Monahan was the person leading the charge and saying live golf was a foreign monarchy attempting to buy the game of golf and this was always caked in politics and he had some line like you've never had to say sorry for playing on the pga tour but circumstances change and the pga tour was attempting to fight money with money with live and it's money that they didn't necessarily have over the long run when you're facing a doj investigation and you're facing an enormous lawsuit in california where the two sides are suing and counter suing each other that cost them already 50 or so million dollars in legal bills. Mm. And that's in addition to everything they had been doing to up the prize money to keep players happy and not go to live. So in all, they'd already dipped into a hundred or so million dollars in reserves. And I'm not saying the PGA tour was about to go broke, but this was something that was seemingly unsustainable over the long run. And they also knew that they're going up against a body that has as close as you can get in this world to unlimited resources. We're talking some $700 billion that Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund has in it. So if you look at a world where even if Liv didn't kill the PGA Tour, but if they kept poaching off a couple top players every year, the dynamics five years from now might look very different than they are today. And so both sides had really had something to offer each other. Mm -hmm. Whereas the PGA Tour had a lot of financial incentive to end this fight, but live for all the money it had poured into golf and getting top golfers like Phil Nicholson, Dustin Johnson, Brooks, Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau. It was struggling mightily as a product. Scant sponsors, basically nobody watching on television. So in some senses, both sides had what each other wanted.
0: Right. You know, you touched on it uh, very quickly, but... There has been bipartisan criticism within the Senate about the PGA's plans to merge with Saudi-backed live. Can you just dive into some of the political concerns that have arisen following the merger?
1: I'd say the number one political consideration that's followed the merger has to start with the DOJ antitrust investigation Mm -hmm. because they're really the ones that have the most power to try and nix this if they so choose and if they deem that this is anti-competitive behavior. Because if you think about it, it's a slightly fascinating thing where the PGA tour was already being investigated for engaging in monopolistic behavior. And then it merged with its biggest rival. Hmm. <laughs> That's interesting.
0: Yeah. By the way, and so, I, real quick, what you're referring to is that there's already there was already an investigation of PGA and other institutions like Augusta. That's exactly. another so one. they were
1: already... They were already being investigated for antitrust violations before this. It was unclear if they were going to ever be charged or accused of wrongdoing, but that investigation was something that was ongoing. And then this merger happens. And if you're being investigated for anti-competitive behavior, any merger like this is going to uh, be investigated. And the Justice Department has already signaled to the PGA Tour that, yes, this will be investigated. So in terms of power to nix this, they're a huge one. But there's also congressional inquiries that are already ongoing. And the the criticisms have to do with Saudi Arabia, which American politics across the political spectrum have a complicated relationship with. And also the fact that there's this slightly strange and uncomfortable thing where, the, while the PGA Tour had spent the last year demonizing Liv for its Saudi backing, it had called in politicians as its loudest backers in many respects to get them to outline the issues with Saudi Arabia and denounce live. So now those same politicians, they still have that same stance. They still have those same issues with Saudi Arabia getting involved in an American institution. Now it just so happens that the PGA Tour is on the other side of the table.
0: Are there other institutions, other sports where Saudi Arabia has kind of their their, uh, hand in the cookie jar?
1: Oh, absolutely. This is just one of the the tentacles for where Saudi Arabia is getting increasingly evolved in sports, whether it's with uh, F1 racing mm. to the English Premier League in soccer, where they bought the Newcastle United uh, club and just had an extraordinarily successful year. And then there's soccer back home in Saudi Arabia, where suddenly they're starting to sign some of the biggest stars in soccer to completely outrageous deals. It was like Cristiano Ronaldo. Why is that? Of all People, you know, they, there's lots of talk about them wanting to open their doors to the world, tourism. Um, but there's the reality that because the country has this vast, vast fund to tap and pay for things, they can completely warp the economics of mm. these types of sports. Because the types of money that they can offer these players is usually blowing out of the water what someone else can offer. And so they, because of their endless resources, they can totally upend the dynamics of these games and afford to do something that, uh, you know, one football club might not be able to offer a soccer player, but the nation of Saudi Arabia can offer them completely something different.
0: All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. If this merger does go through, um, who do you think is the biggest... I guess I should say, who are the biggest losers and who are the biggest winners, would you say?
1: I'd say the biggest winners in some sense have to be the players because they are the ones ultimately profiting off of this in a lot of ways. Whether the players who went to live, they're the ones who got these giant paychecks. And even many of the ones who stood with the PGA Tour, like I mentioned, Scotty Scheffler was boosted by the fact that he's winning with all these giant paydays. And in the future, in theory, if this goes through, ooh, he's then playing on a tour that will be financially backed in some form by Saudi Arabia and probably promises to offer players like him greater wealth. Mm. That's obviously taking out one's feelings about Saudi Arabia side, depending on how they feel comfortable with that. On the other hand, I think both the PGA Tour and Live have to see that they're holding their hat in their hand a little bit whereas the PGA Tour sought to demonize live golf uh, as a Saudi tool for the last year, they had to go back and eventually make a deal with the people that they were assailing. At the same time, the Saudis had poured a couple billion dollars into professional golf, and in some sense they succeeded in luring top golfers to play for them, but did they succeed in creating a successful business? There's very, very little evidence of that in terms of the TV ratings, in terms of the lack of sponsors. So in some sense, this golf war was hurting the PGA Tour, but it wasn't a winning war for live golf either. And that's why in some sense, again, if you take the politics out of it, it made some sense for them to pull what they had.
0: Yeah. Um, Last question I have for you if well, I guess too. It's a twofold question. How much longer do you think this is going to go on until we see something official? And then once it is official, if that happens, what can viewers expect from that merger?
1: I think it's going to be a while till we know something for certain because I think the talks between the two sides, as we discussed earlier, their, their agreement, so to speak, was really just an agreement to make an agreement. So now they have to negotiate the finer details of what a more specific more fully fleshed out deal will look like. And that could take through the year. But even when that's done, this isn't done because there's going to be the Department of Justice antitrust review of this. And that's something that could definitely drag into next year. So I would not at all be surprised if golf kind of looks the way it does now is even next year. And then we're talking about what does this look like in, say, 2025. Mm. That's the type of long runway we're looking at. And at that point, there's going to be big questions that – Anybody's speculation is really best. On the one hand, we could be asking, will Live Golf exist at all? Will they just try and fold in some more team format golf into the PGA Tour? Or the other question is, how do the players currently on Live, who left the PGA Tour, get their way back onto the Tour? Which is a kind of complicated question because, you know, getting your Tour card is usually an instance of meritocracy and playing your way to earn it. So are you just going to hand those tour cards back? Are you going to have to come up with some system for those players to make their way back on? And really at the end of the day, I think what golf fans want most is to see the best golfers in the world playing against each other as often as they can. And they know that a tournament is better if uh, whether it's on the PGA tour or in a major, they know it's better if Scotty Scheffler gets to go up against the likes of Brooks Kepka and we get to see Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy together. And so, while we seem to be headed on a path that makes that all feasible, the runway could be pretty, pretty long. And the exact pathways to make that happen more consistently are totally unsettled. Mm,
0: Yeah. A lot of questions to ask about this merger. And as time goes on, those answers will hopefully unfold, especially as golf fans keep asking them. So Andrew, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Maybe you and I can do like a wee golf tournament and just pretend like we're good enough to be professionals.
1: Definitely. We don't even have to keep score.
0: (laughs) Perfect. That's my kind of (laughs) golf game. All right, Andrew, thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. No, thanks for having me.
0: All right. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways about the Live PGA merger. Number one, Live and the PGA differ in a few ways. Live is Saudi-backed and is seen as this shiny new league that claims to bring new energy to the world of golf by trying to combine team and individual play. PGA, on the other hand, is the establishment league with more of a traditional structure of play. The PGA has a loyal fan base, but Live is struggling to gain a following despite their big purse. Number two. While we keep hearing about a merger, it isn't official just yet. Right now, the DOJ is investigating any antitrust violations. That's happening while the PGA and other institutions are already being investigated for monopolistic practices. Andrew and other experts predict there's a long road ahead before there's anything set in stone regarding this new potential league. And number three, Andrew points out the criticism from some revolving around sports washing. Many see Live Golf as Saudi Arabia's effort to improve their reputation and open their doors to tourism. It's something we've seen from them before, as they have stakes in F1 racing and the English Premier League. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on the PGA Live merger. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com, and don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy.
1: And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, The Duffy's, at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.